Welcome to Roots and Ruminants, your podcast for creative and innovative use of farm, pasture, and rangeland. We're going back to the basics of raising and grazing livestock, growing your own forage, and practical land use. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are on to another episode of Roots and Ruminants. Jared and I are sitting down. We've got a, an awesome guest today. Uh, we're sitting down with Sarah Bowder, the SDSU Extension Forage Field Specialist. I think that got that right, right, Sarah? You did, yeah. Yep. All right, got it right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great title. So uh, if you've been involved in anything going on as far as uh, like SDSU activities with field days uh, related to forage, you probably saw Sarah's involvement on there. Uh, so we're going to go through and talk through what she's been doing with there. She's certainly well-connected uh, within the state, all things related to forage and SDSU. So we're going to talk through that. i uh, got an annual meeting coming up. We're going to talk through that and um, uh, get to all that good stuff. So Sarah, can you, can you give your introduction as far as you know, saying your title again and exactly how you work within SDSU with, with the world of forages? Sure. I've been with SDSU since 2012 and I actually started in a research role. Um, I was in soil fertility research as a tech for a few years. So that means you're out in the field doing the, doing the research. It was a lot of fun. And somehow my boss convinced me that uh, I should get a master's degree and then I could work for extension. And I had actually always wanted to work for extension. I thought it was a really cool role to do. I always liked education and went to school for uh, teaching egg, but ended up in adult ed because I, I just always had a heart for that and, and egg. So it fit out, it fit together really well. Um, and ended up once I finished my master's in an agronomy extension position, and then that morphed into this forage position. So uh, as a forage specialist, you know, my main goal is to reach out to forage producers in this, in and around the state um, and work with them, troubleshooting problems, uh, working on research. And the biggest thing a lot of times is just making a connection and networking so that you have a base of people to work with and learn from. I'm not always the educator. I mean, I feel like a lot of days I'm learning from the people I work with and from the growers that call me and say, hey, I have this problem. And it's a problem that I couldn't have come up with in 100 years a lot of times. Um, and then the next day it might be, you know, the third call on the same prussic acid issue in the fall type thing. So just just depends, just depends on the day. But I, I really do love the job and uh, it definitely is rewarding and keeps you busy. That's for sure. That's great. That's great. And Sarah, so we actually met in a program called South Dakota. Well, we met before that in FFA probably, but got reconnected through South Dakota Ag and Rural yeah. Leadership um, a few years ago. How many years ago was that? Six, five, six? Does that sound right? Yeah, we were like class eight okay. and I think they're on 12 or I don't know. It's been a while. Wow. So that math means it's farther along than that. Okay. And so for those of you who are not familiar with South Dakota Ag and Rural Leadership, it's called SADARL, which is an odd acronym pronunciation, but it was similar to like Nebraska Ag and Leadership, NARL, Minnesota Ag and Leadership, MARL. And it's basically a summer camp for adults with like 10 different camps that you go to. All year <laughs> That's a great year. description. And then one of those camps is in another country. That's, That's right. At the end. That is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was a good time. A great time. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. I believe right. we were referred to as the train monkeys at that time, Jared, because of our that's right. That's right. identifiable that's right. FFA training. Uh -huh. 
speech training that was yeah. cookie cutter to one another. Yeah. Shout out to all you people that picked on us. Thank you. Yeah. John Motes, if you know, you know. You That's know, right. You know. Okay. All right. Hey, so glad to have you on. So tell me more about, I, and this is a question a bit for both of you, but I had been hearing about the Northern Plains uh, Forage Council. Is that right? That was recently Forage Association. Association. Yep. Association. Yep. Yes. Very good. Council Association. NIPFA, right? NIP, is that what you call it? NIPFA? Okay. I don't know if we've gotten, you know, that far into abbreviation. A lot of people say NPFA. What do you say, Justin? Well, I'm going to now call it NIPFA or NIPFA. NIPFA? I think it's a long A at the end. NIPFA? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So tell, tell me both about uh, the, the ideas behind NIPFA <laughs> and how, how it came about and how long it's been in existence and a little bit about uh, uh, what the vision is. That was three questions at once. So you can start first. How did it begin? Uh, when did sure. it start? And where are you guys at today? Go well, ahead, Sarah. I would say this. Okay. This whole thing got its beginning um, because there was a group of people at a regional meeting and we had this epiphany that there's really no organized forage group in South Dakota um, or that I-29 corridor, you know, real close to it. There are some groups in neighboring states, but nobody was real close to that high hot point forage area. And South Dakota is one of the top forage producers in the nation year after year. Um, you know, with alfalfa, we've made it to the top. We've been fifth. We've been anywhere in between. And there's just not a great reason that we shouldn't have a group. So we kind of talked at that meeting, a few of us, and thought we should try to do something. And I found out through the grapevine that Ed Twidwell, who was an extension educator back in the day, told me that they started one and it ran through the 80s. And I think it ended in the early 90s or late 80s. And there hasn't been anything since. So this... Uh, pretty great group of people formed and we had an informational meeting and picked up board members. There was enough interest that we felt like we're just going to try this. And now Justin and eight other people are on the board um, and doing a great job of, you know, it's it's been about a year that we formally, I would say, been acting as an association. Um, but we have just short of 40 members. We've got five associate members and it, it's just growing slowly but surely. So I'll let Justin share a little bit about what it's, what his role is on the board or what he thinks about the association. Cause maybe I'm just thinking it's great. And he's a disgruntled board member for all I know. <laughs> no, I, it is a great organization. I think it's, <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, ultimately there probably needs to be some more uh, promotion as far as the forage industry goes, right? Like it's not a, a sector of business within anybody's farm that people know exactly how to do things like there's not the systematic approaches to growing forages it's it's pretty wild and so i think um part of the association really wants to focus on the networking to share ideas and how people are going about things and that kind of relates to what this podcast is doing too right like we talk about how people are going about it and how they're utilizing different forages grazing haying harvesting all those things so uh, the networking is a big part of it. And then I think, you know, the education, uh, you know, people just need to learn from other experts within the industry. And so uh, the association has held some, you know, brought in some speakers to other uh, events and will with the annual meeting coming up here um, the first of what? December as well. And then okay. I think, yep. what's that, Jared? 
No, is that an opportunity for people to engage and come visit? Check it out. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it is. It's the it's December first, and it's going to be the first ever uh, annual meeting. You know, it's something that we're going to continue to try to do at that same time year every every year. And so the the headline speaker is Dr. Dan Understander, and he's from University of Wisconsin, a former professor there. And if you know the world of alfalfa, you've heard Dr. Understander talk. And um, yeah, he'll do a great job as far as management of alfalfa and. Even like just he's got a great view of what that industry is and, and maybe where it's going. And um, so that'll that's I, I think that's probably as big of a name in the alfalfa industry as we could get for a first meeting. And so I think that's pretty cool. So we're expecting like a lot of people from the tri-state area to to look at this and say, you know what, this is kind of a cool opportunity for me to go hear him speak. There's going to be some other speakers on alternative forage as well. Um, and then plus some big time networking opportunities with, with everybody else who's growing alfalfa, um, you know, putting up feed, grazing, all, all things forage related is what we want it to be. And where do you cut, where do you draw that line when you say Northern Plains forage? Where do you draw the line where if you're farther south of that, you just don't get in the door? Is it like St. Joe, Missouri or, you know, Omaha? Like, where do you draw the line? Yeah, it's always relative, isn't it? Like north of Texas? I don't know that anybody's drawn a line. We've been asked that question. And I was actually just talking with a couple other board members on a different podcast this morning about the same thing. And um, it seems like the majority of the members or interest has kind of been in the state surrounding the east side, South Dakota, including North Dakota and Nebraska and the uh, Minnesota and Iowa. But if people <clears throat> further south or further west um, or even further east, there are more forage associations as you move east. Um, but I don't think that this group is going to turn anyone down, just to be aware that it's it's a Northern Plains focus agronomically. Um, so we might not have all the same things that someone that's from, you know, eastern Wisconsin might be interested in, but I think it would still fit just fine. Uh, but the, the group has done a great job. And, you know, Justin is, like I said, he's one of nine board members, and they've done a lot of work and we have some long meetings because when you're starting something like this, there's just a lot of details to work out. Um, just in the last, in this last year, they've had a summer forage field day. They partnered with uh, myself, with SDSU, UNL, and WUU University to put on a really great summer forage field day at Beersford. Um, we had a open meeting and speaker at the Dairy Expo last year and hoping to do that again this year. They're going to be present. They were at the Sioux Falls Farm Show last year as well with a meeting and planning to do that this year and be at Egg Horizons and Pier with a booth. Um, and then, of course, the annual meeting here in just a little over a week. So quite a bit going on. And really, the mission is to promote sustainable, quality, profitable forage production. And I think they're doing a great job. And it's really grassroots trying to do that and just make sure that that networking and learning community can be built. Thanks. That field day was something that, but I mean, I wish, uh, so it was very well attended, but it's like when what? you're there, it's like, holy buckets. I wish there were so many more people here to see what's going on here. So had some awesome um, mm -hmm. sorghum, forage sorghum, sorghum sedan grass trials that we're able to go look through. Um, and I think just having mm -hmm. that, I mean, that was a big, massive group of forage producers there to, to talk with. They had some equipment there that gave some spiels on, um, choppers and stuff as well. Uh, are, what's the what's the future look like for doing that again this next summer? 
So we've held that field day since 2017 and we were doing it every other year. And then a couple years ago, UNL, Ben Beckman with UNL partnered with us. And so we started doing it every year, South Dakota and then Nebraska and back to South Dakota, back and forth. So this next year, we'll plan on doing it in Nebraska and the Forage Association. I'm, I'm pretty certain the group wants to partner again. So they'll be an active part of um, making that happen. And you know what I found from an extension person's perspective, it is so great to have this group because I have a direct connection to a really great network of growers and industry people who can tell me what the issues are that I might not even realize. It's easy to get caught up in your own bubble, trying to just chase your tail and put out fires instead of looking at what's new in, in the world of research and what are people's issues in this area. So that's helped okay. with planning these meetings because then you know you know, what do people want to hear? That's a great point. And I have a question mm -hmm. based on that. Can you give me an example of some research that you're doing now or have done recently or would like to do that came from one of those like moments of talking to a producer and saying, I'm just trying to figure this out. And you've said, that's a great point. And I'm hearing this over and over again. Let's put that into a project. For sure. You know, um, as an extension person, we try to do applied research on the side because it's a great way for people to actually see what's going on. And of course, we take the university research and we try to disseminate it, but it's good to do your own. So I have a few things going on right now, and I would say a couple of them are definitely due to interactions from either people with the Forage Association or growers in general. Um, I'm a part of a multi-state sorghum variety trial, and all of these are happening at the Southeast Research Farm by Beersford. Uh, most of my research happens there because that's where the forage harvesting equipment is at and the planting equipment. Um, but those that sorghum research, it's a variety trial that try to develop varieties that are more suited for the northern plains uh, because a lot of that sorghum work doesn't happen here. Um, so that's been a really cool thing to be a part of and it spurred us to also start a commercial trial. So there is a commercial entry trial at the farm too and that's just been an awesome way to get more data on what sorghums and sorghum sedan grasses, as well as sedan grass, what works and what doesn't, what do people wanna see? We've done that as a silage trial. We've also done it as a grazing trial or a two cut silage trial. Uh, so it's, that's been some fun research and you can find all those results in the Southeast Research Farm reports um, or on the extension website. And I, I would say some of the other research, I've done a lot of different things with alfalfa, but one of the, most interesting telling things has been doing work on inoculant and seeding rate. And it was just some unfunded work that Ben out of UNL, Ben Beckman and myself decided to do. So he's got some sites down at the Haskell Egg Lab by Concord, and I've got sites at Beersford, and we're just testing out different seeding rates and with or without inoculant on the seed and the differences. And that's going to be some interesting data where I think I'm the end of year three. So we should have something to publish here pretty soon. Um, it, it's kind of fun because you see different recommendations from different companies and universities, and we just wanted to try it and see. So that seeding rate in piece definitely came from some grower interactions and questions about, so what seeding rate should I use? So that's it's been very, kind of fun. That's awesome. Practical too. What, so what are you seeing? Like, can I plant alfalfa at five or should I use 30? Um, most of it, so NDSU came out with some stuff that said uh, about, I think it was in kilograms, but it came out to be about 13 pounds per acre for them, um, seemed to be just fine. Uh, and that's close. <clears throat> I haven't done the stats yet, but anecdotally, looking at everything, 
it's close between that 10 and 20 pounds per acre range is really after that we don't see a lot of advantage because alfalfa self thins and it also fills itself in um, so if you have a, a whole lot of seeding error that's different if you're going to seed 4,000 acres as fast as you can and you're not going to spend a lot of time calibrating and making sure the seed's getting barely in the ground and packed, maybe you're willing to spend extra money on seed. Um, but if you're planting a 40-acre field and you're going to take the time to do it well and make sure that it's being drilled in or planted in the way it should be, yeah, there's, there's just less air there and you don't need as much seed is what we're finding. But again, depends on the scale and calibration. Are you talking about uh, coated or uncoated? When you say pounds, are you talking about uncoated alfalfa seed or coated? Oh, that's a good question. One child has coated and one has uncoated. So it would be a little bit different between the two, for sure. Um, but I, I can't give you a solid rate yet because I need to combine. This is like the famous last words of someone that does research. I did all the work, but I haven't, I haven't like crunched all the numbers. So I don't want to say for sure because I don't have the numbers I'll put together, but the work is, is pretty much done. Uh, we just need to get that put in. The moral of the story is less seems to be more um, in a lot of cases. Oh, all right. Well, this, is a good time much... this, this podcast is brought to you by Renovo Seeds, trying to offer this. <laughs> much <treatment. laughs> that's a, no, that's and true. Seems... So the, what we're finding out in most of the things that we do in ag is that if if you take more time on doing deliberate seeding and have a be do a better job seeding, it will pay dividends more than just trying to overcompensate for sloppy mechanisms, right? So if you do it right, you can actually probably shave a little bit, and there's a, a limit to that and that. But I never I never really heard of like planting alfalfa at thirty pounds. That sounds amazing um, if you sell seed, but I've, I've never heard of that. No, that's oh, that's I, extremely excessive. But but yeah, some people yeah. will say, oh, you should just do 30 because your stand's going to last longer. It's going to establish quicker. And that's a lot. That's actually honest. To be totally <clears throat> truthful, it was a conversation with someone that regularly plants alfalfa and yeah. they plant at 30, 30 plus that got that research rolling. I was like, yeah. there's no way that you need to yeah, spend that money. We need to help you with that. So yeah, 20 is, 20 is high um, in most cases, yeah. but some yeah. people will tell oh. you to plant at 20 because if you just want to fly down the field, right. you know, you can have 50% of it just fly away. So depends on what you're, like you said, it depends on how much time you're going to put into making sure it's going in the ground like it should. That's a good point. It's, and it's, I mean, it's still kind of... Um, it's just kind of a shame that the all the forages are still planted on a per pound basis, right? When yeah. everything else is planted on a population basis. And so yeah, Jared's question about coated or uncoated, well, a 34% coat makes a huge difference on the amount of pounds you're actually planting. And so until it's planted on a per population basis, how do you actually, you know, create this the same amount of uh, similarities amongst so many variabilities, right? And so sorghum is the yeah. same way. And sorghum sedan grass, um, your seed size varies so much. And so you'll see variations of recommended seeding rates from 10 to 50. I've seen 50 on sorghum sedan grass. Yeah. You know, there too, it's like if your seed count is different, your pounds per acre is going to vary until you plant it on a population base. It's not going to change. But our equipment's drills and broadcast equipment for a lot of these forages too. And so then it's, 
yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's just a bit more of a crapshoot. That is a great point though, Justin. And I can't say I've ever really sat down and said that to myself, but it is true. Uh, the forages are just kind of, I don't know, they're kind of left behind. You know, they're like the left, left behind. behind stepchild. Yeah. Like, ah, it'll, they'll be fine. You know? <laughs> work. Probably yeah, work. It, it'll work. It worked before. Yeah. So the the research uh, piece is is important for sure. Okay. So is that okay? Is that sorghum sedan grass seeding rate? Is that just a a tool to get the finer stems on it? You know, I mean, it's a, it's it's cheap seed, right? Sorghum sedan grass is cheap seed. And they'll say, yeah, you you could plant eight pounds and you'll have a stand, but just plant thirty to try and get a finer stem and better quality, or not really. Well, I think it depends on how you're going to use it. You know, if you're going to chop it and you're going to plant it in rows, mm -hmm. obviously with a planter, you can decrease your seeding rate. But if you're going to drill it in seven and a half inch rows or broadcast it and you're going to hay it, then more is better because of what you're saying. Yeah, pack them together, get finer stems. Um, yeah. It's not going to stand as well, but yeah, yeah. it will. It'll be more like a, a grassy type of a crop versus a stalk like a sorghum would be. Yeah, I mean, because it doesn't cost you near as much to double the seeding rate. Oh yeah. Especially yeah. on a conventional sorghum sedan grass. Yeah. I mean, you're talking 60 cents a pound for seed and that's yeah. 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 Another yeah, $10 most people an are Not too yeah. worried about it. I will say though, in our trial, so we, it depends on the trial, but one of the trials we're running, we allowed the companies who paid um, to be in it to set their seeding rate. Mm -hmm. And that has been really interesting. Let's just put it that way. A large, and of course, those seeding rates are published with the data, so it's mm -hmm. it's there. People can see that they're different. Um, there's been some big differences, especially with the grasses, the sedan grasses. In yield, so, has there been a big difference? Uh, there, I think they're the, they have been dried and weighed, but I have not seen the numbers yet. So we're gonna find out. This it was this year that they were really different. Yeah. So I think yeah. they had set the seeding rate in the past, and we thought it would be interesting to try to let them set their own. And when I received the seeding rates, I was like, oh boy, we will see yeah. what this does. So it's gonna be fun to see. I thought when we cut it, we have to cut it by hand, the joys of research. Uh, and uh, I thought when we cut it, there were some differences. So we'll see. Huh. Can't really go by the wet weight, so. But there too, like if, if your stand is, you know, 30% denser, but you doubled your seeding rate and you increased your cost by ten dollars per acre for seeding but you gained an extra half a, a half a ton is going to pay back for your seeding cost so yeah I mean, maybe, maybe what i should do i mean i have all this data and i can't give you answers because i don't have it summarized yeah. but um maybe what i should do is add to that load and do a price and it'd be fun to do a cost analysis on that and just see yeah you know based yeah, on local seed price what this actually was it an advantage or not yeah yep yeah but most and of the time it would be an know. advantage you know what i mean like is well yeah like as 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 valuable it's, as the feed is it would be rare mm -hmm. that an increased seed cost that was actually cost more than the increase in yield that would well, never happen like I you think. said that seed cost is is nil yeah. compared to a lot of crops yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting but at some point like you could say planting you know oats is not well that's actually a lot more expensive to go up to add another two bushels of oats would be a lot too i'm trying to think of a scenario where you have cheaper seed where you just have a limiting factor like you can plant too much even if corn seed was free you can plant too much corn yeah. seed you go backwards right you guys oh, yeah. should do a trial next to see what's the maximum 
amount of sorghum sedan grass you can plant per acre by by population. Just shove it in there, see what happens. Yeah, Someone, it would probably give someone a terrible idea, and they would read like just the title of it and go do it. So now I'm now I'm scared. My <laughs> that lady from Extension told me to do it. Katie, uh, I was supposed to drill and cover crops this year. I was supposed to bring a small bucket, like a gallon bucket of rye home for, for Katie, for her garden. And I just mm -hmm. kept forgetting to. So then she just drove to the office one day and got a 50 pound bushel bag of rye. And we don't have a very large garden and then put an entire bushel bag of rye on our probably oh. 1 20th of an acre in our garden, right? Which is like, I think I figured out it was like a 35 bushel of the acre seating rate. For yes. That's pretty great. That <laughs> was, was like definitely for forage. <laughs> the and then, but it, it is so dense. It is so dense. It looks wonderful. But I thought I bet. it doesn't like compete itself out. It's taller than the rye by a lot than the rye that is not, mm -hmm. you know, like 30 pounds of the acre that's right next to the field. <laughs> anyway. Interesting. So well, the, the height thing doesn't surprise me because a lot of those grasses get spindly when they want sun, right? So. It's probably competing with itself for I think a lot of things. Should do they get the entire research farm of Beersford in a population trial for conventional sorghum sedan grass. You should go from two pounds an acre all the way to 200 pounds an acre. Wouldn't that <laughs> be fun? And then I'll mention all. that to the farm managers. I'm sure they'll be <laughs> totally game. As long as uh, Renovo or Milbourne is donating the seed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll, do the, we'll do the two to 10 pound seeding rate donation and then Somebody else can do the rest. Somebody else. One to 200 pounds. <laughs> there you go. That's a real businessman there. <laughs> so going back to, you know, you mentioned that your trial work is really dependent on what you're seeing and what you're hearing out in the field. And, and so mm -hmm. why the sorghum trial? Like what spurred that or what do you see coming on that gained some attention to that? You know, I think that sorghums, well, forages as a whole, but sorghum and sorghum sedan specifically tend to just kind of be this left behind afterthought type thing. And if people are going to plant them, it's oftentimes on like a really rough year where they have an opportunity to get something in late for one reason or another. It was too wet. It was too dry. I mean, they're pretty good and drought tolerant in a lot of cases compared to our other grasses and you can get something out of them. So I think a lot of times people just view them as this um, second opportunity type thing. Like they're a rescue crop. That's the word I'm looking for. Yep. And because of that, there's not a whole lot of forward facing talking about it. Um, you know, what's the best plan for sorghum? And maybe we should be talking to people about planning to plant sorghum instead of using it as solely. I mean, it makes a great rescue crop, but it can be a lot of other things too. And the market, domination and insurance, you know, domination of row crops is also, and, you know, sorghum can be a row crop, so that's not a good way to say it, but corn and soybeans essentially can really put that aside and cause some of those issues and that thought process. So finding a market for it, and a lot of times that's a forage producer, that's someone who is, you know, integrated livestock on their operation already, and talking about that as a planned event and not just a, we're gonna do it because we have to. So I think conversations with people about that after drought kind of spurred some of that interest. And then honestly, relationships with the Forage Association board members and some questions that 
people have asked more recently, uh, working with Jeff Jackson, he's with Cropland um, on the forage board, you know, he does a lot of work with sorghum. And so I've had many conversations with him too. And combination of all of that got me thinking, we should really be doing more work with this. And then a grant opportunity came up to, uh, you know, work with Iowa State and they have a sorghum breeder and she is the PI uh, on this grant that is the, the variety trial for the, the sorghum. Huh. So working all those things to together. Huge. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Iowa State has a sorghum breeder. Yep. I didn't know it until she invited me to be a part of this. And then I have to give props to Peter Sexton and Brad Robs at the Southeast Farm because I think they may have actually suggested the the paid entry trial before I did, um, because we do alfalfa paid entry trials and we've done some warm and cool season. You guys have been a part of them before. Um, so you know about those. And then it kind of was a natural fit, but just personally, I think sorghum needs more attention. We focused on it at our forage field day this year and had the best turnout we've had in a long time and way more questions than we often have. So I think it was a great discussion about sorghum and it opened my eyes to how many people really don't know about best production practices with these crops and are interested in learning more if you if you make the opportunity available. Well, I think it's just another opportunity for um, a, a water efficient plant to be used in South Dakota for, for silage. And, yeah. you know, like this last year was kind of an anomaly as far as rainfall across the state and you know the central and western part of the state received more more rainfall than the eastern part of the state but you know like, typically that's not the truth and as we see feedlots move west um yeah. man i think there it's just it's gonna have to be uh, a play for people on their farms or for silage options if you want consistent mm -hmm. silage um, as far as like yield, if you want consistent yielding silage, then sorghum probably should be in your rotation. Like corn's gonna, gonna certainly give you a higher energy forage crop, uh, but there's years where it just doesn't quite make it. Where sorghum, yeah, you're, you're probably never gonna get the ultimate high yields as corn, but it's always gonna be there. It's certainly way more water efficient. So even if you're under a pivot, it requires less moisture. So it's just, yeah, it's something that probably needs to be talked about more. We got to continue to promote it. And I think, yeah, these forest trials where people can actually see uh, that it works in South Dakota and like, holy buckets, that actually can produce 18 ton of silage for me. Now I can, mm -hmm. you know, consistently grow it and, 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 and trust that it's going to work for a farm. And it seems like it can do it on like six drops of rain. So I yeah. mean, those trials at the Southeast yeah. farm, it did not rain after we planted them. If I remember right this last year, it didn't rain forever, but they look great. Mm -hmm. stuff is really tough and there's breeders making it better all the time so that helps too mm -hmm. but you said what i said in about 500 less words justin what he said that's what i'm gonna go <laughs> we're seeing it the same thing made, so that's good it made right. way more sense when you said it so let's go with that <laughs> We've kind of talked through uh, all the different things as far as uh, what what you've worked on as far as the research goes and what you've seen. So I think we've we've got it. Jared, don't you think we should put the put everything to the test and do the graze at harvest at rent it scenario? Yes. Oh, this this yeah, makes sure. me nervous. So this is so typically we get uh, like emails uh, for suggestions of scenarios for the game. 
And we're still Ooh. waiting on the. Uh, we need the bit, right, Jared? We still don't have the music have from Katie. No, no we, don't. we don't have that yet. Okay. This week is a busy week. We need a jingle, Sarah, so that when we say it's great, is it harvest it rented out? Then we have this jingle Ooh, that plays. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's coming. That'd be good. I like it. Okay, I so like here, it. here's the scenario. So how about here's how the about scenario. you just sing it for it, now? <laughs> yeah, I did that one time, and I got too many people making fun of me. So right, <laughs> I can say it anymore. <laughs> can you sing? Can I Sarah, sing? Can sing? Not on a podcast. I forgot how. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be recorded for all of time. So you know, I haven't warmed up. I can't possibly. <laughs> you know what? We'll come up. We'll come up with a jingle. Well, I'll help you. All right. Okay. That Sounds too like was fun. recorded. So help do it. <laughs> it's better than singing. Okay. So you have out of all these these three fields. You have to choose to graze one with livestock, harvest it, however you want to harvest it for feed. So you can hay it, you can chop it, put okay. it up as baleage. And then when okay. you get to rent it out, you're just like, you know what? I don't even want to deal with that. I don't know how I'd graze it. I don't know how I'd, how I'd harvest it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to rent it out. Okay. Oh God, this is tough. okay. So like here are the fields. Challenge. Each of them, each of them. Yeah, this, well, I don't know. Maybe it's, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a good challenge. Okay. So each of them are a 40 acre research plot. I'm taking notes. Okay. Okay. All right. So you've got various varieties within the mm -hmm. research plot, right? Like different kinds, different varieties, but all yeah. the same species. Okay. So the first one is a 40 acre plot of forage sorghum hybrids. Okay. okay. Oh, I forgot one, one important detail. It's November 21st. Okay. So that, that, that matters, right? All right. First one, 40-acre plot of forage sorghum hybrids. Second one, 40-acre research plot of winter triticale, which means it was just planted like within the last 60 days. And you've got a 40-acre research plot of oats that was harvested back in August, right? It was combined. Those are your three fields. Hmm. Was the straw put up on the oats that was harvested? What? Yeah. Was it straight combined? combined? Were they? I was actually. We're gonna say that they were swathed, combined, and the straw was built up. Okay. Okay. But now you've you know you've got like a little bit of volunteer oats on there. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to tell you for each one, or just in general, the whole thing. One of those you have to graze, one of them you have to harvest oh, for okay. feed, and one of them you have to rent out. Is it obvious that I, I have not been aware of your podcast? This is bad. I think I need to listen to it. Are you it's kidding like, me? It's like going on, going on a game show and not ever watching it. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm going to think out loud. So the, the sorghum hybrids were cut for silage, you said? They're just standing there. They're still there. Oh, they're, they're still there. Yeah. yeah. On November 21st. So yep. somebody. Mm. So there is a potential grazing opportunity, but the feed value has dropped some because it's been froze a few times. But honestly, oh, yeah. if we're yeah. around here, yeah. 
it's not been that cold for that long. So you're you're probably past prussic acid at least, but you're losing a little feed value. Um, mm-hmm. Winter triticale, we don't know much about it, but there's nothing there to that one. We're not going to be grazing anyway because there can't be a whole lot up. I'm guessing. And oats, <laughs> you don't have much residue there either. So I think the easy one is grazing. You're probably going to go graze that sorghum. Uh, my other options okay. are renting, right. renting and uh, harvesting. Right? Yeah. Boy, well, you can't. Har- I mean, do I have the opportunity to plant something into those oats, or is it just the way it is? I have to do something with it today. Planting it was not an option. I, well, then I guess I'm kind don't of. Don't you know the game? Like, I have to rent the rent the oats out because I can't harvest them. So then I'll harvest the winter okay. triticale. And, you know, if you're out west, you could graze. People do graze uh, those winter feeds. You would have higher feed value. But you got to be real careful. And you can't graze a whole lot. And at this point, it's not going to have any, probably a whole lot more value than the sorghum. So I'm going to say I'd graze the sorghum. And I'd harvest the triticale next year. So that leads me to rent out the oats. But I, it hurts my heart because okay. I love oats. I do love oats. But they're gone. They're not there. And you took all my residue what's your, away. What's your favorite oat variety? Well, I've always liked Hayden, but it's we've had a little resist. You know, the rust resistance is kind of wearing off. So probably Rushmore, only because I'm pretty familiar with it. I haven't done anything with Buffalo. And people say Dion is really great, too. But that's not a South Dakota variety, so I feel like... It's not Minnesota Probably variety. Yeah. Darn those Minnesotans. Dion's pretty good though, too. I mean, I'm very sure loyal. Our, yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't planted Minnesota. Dion, so I, we we grow certified seed. So I I would have to say probably at this time Rushmore. What what about you? Have you done a lot with buffalo? Do you guys contract a lot of buffalo? Yeah, we we have used that. You know, last year was like the first year of it, but yeah, people are happy yeah. with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you guys do with this this game show scenario? Okay, so I'm gonna rent out. It's... I'm gonna rent out the sorghum. Yeah, that, the that's sorghum. the other option, you know, because it's the feed value is. Yeah. Right. Well, so like something's there. So I'm gonna contact the, the cattail king from Haiti, South Dakota, uh, <laughs> Mr. Tucker up there, and uh, see if he wants to come in. Um, and grace it. He'll he'll be okay. he'll be in the podcast in the future at some point, I'm sure. But um, this gentleman has has been harvesting like hundreds of acres of cattails in this area because it's like a prairie pothole region. There's these uh-huh. big sloughs that get really dry in the summertime, and building up cattails. And it's like, well, who would buy a cattail bale? But oh. lots of people buy cattail bales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like whether it's right or it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like, it's like anything in a bale. See, it's kind of it's a moral dilemma for me because, like, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. You know what you're doing, though. Like, like, yeah, he goes in the right time of year, gets them good and dry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They make, make good fluffy bedding. You feed them? You know? Yeah. Okay, anyway, so I would say here's an upgrade to cattails. So, like, cattail market plus 20 bucks is what we're going to sell these dried, baled, you know, very stale sorghum sedan or sorghum bales for we don't have to worry about drying out hopefully we should be done we could dry out with it and then i'm gonna 
I'm going to harvest the triticale next year. I'm going to graze those oats right now just for a little bit, but they're going to be really punchy. Really yeah, you know, I didn't really think about the volunteer oats. I was thinking of a bare field. I spaced that one off. You got something there, don't right. you? But it is. It had been great like three weeks ago, but that the oats. Yeah, I just am thinking there's. If it was depends on how much light stuff you blew out the back, but if it was decent, you shouldn't have much left there. This year, oats. You're probably. They, you're probably yeah. doing it right. I would say that's probably better. It's hard to say oh, with sorghum, though, yeah. you know that? Because there's sorghum around that I've seen. It still looks half decent. It's amazing. Um, but the feed value is definitely, you'd have to supplement for sure. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't dry down. Maybe it's not dry down. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to bail. You got to make sure you had a good couple frosts. That's another research topic. I want to get into doing more prussic acid research, but it's a whole ball of wax. That's a lot of, a lot of air factors with sorghum and freezing. <laughs> Yeah. At least you're past that. You know, I've heard rumors about a I've heard rumors about a prusic acid free sorghum coming to the market. Yeah, yeah. So be, yeah. And some of those I thought when I, when I, Yeah. When I saw this, I thought the most value was gonna be the winter triticale. Like if you went to a guy and said, Hey, do you want to rent out one of these three fields? Like the opportunity to rent out the winter triticale for harvesting next year is probably the highest, just because it's kind of familiar and probably. But I mean, you got. I guess I was looking at it from a best use on my operation standpoint. But yeah, if you strictly True. look at profitability, yep. Yep. then that's the best yep. one to rent out. Yeah, I think Jared. If I hadn't omitted the the thought about volunteer oats still being out there, then. Yeah, I'd probably if I if I had to sit down and think about it, I'd probably do what you did. But this is an this interesting year, game. Thought provoking. Yeah. There you go. There's 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 more of them. Please go to ritzandrimmons.com and download further <laughs> episodes. This is the only one that involves you, Sarah, but there is other episodes. Uh yeah. <laughs> you can check it out. I probably gave the wrong uh, answer. They're like, oh gosh, don't take her advice. <laughs> there's no wrong there's no wrong answers. There's no right answers. It's purely it's purely subjective. And we never know what we're gonna what we're gonna say next. Uh, I was gonna say that, that the funny part of that of like the oats like that grew three times this year from the same seed. So we had you know the oats that grew, and then basically went into dormancy right after they put on kind of a small spindly head. And then we got that rain in June. Yep. Then the tillers came on, so we had a second like set of oats coming back from the same root system, like with different heads coming out of there that literally matured like three to four weeks apart, which is kind of amazing. Wow. And then when we combined, we got rain again, and then like the oats came back both both fallen both like you know fallen seed but also a lot from the root too it was kind of crazy just kept on growing yeah you don't you wouldn't think there'd be hard seed but apparently oats are tougher than we give them credit for a lot of times people say they're such yeah. sallies but they come back they come back really well i should have thought yeah. about that but yeah yeah it depends on your situation for sure Oats are a lot of fun. We ended up paying most of our certified oats this year, which made me very sad, but you got to do what you got to do. That's not plan A. Nope. No, far from plan A. But that is my pitch for small grains and forages. There is an easy plan B usually, and sometimes even a plan C that's viable versus a lot of times with corn, plan B is silage, and that's your only option. So yeah. I'm not a corn hater. Good point. I just think there's a lot more options in the world. You're just a forage promoter. Yeah, there you go. 
There you go. That's great. Glass half full. Yep. That's right. Sarah, it was awesome to have you join us. We really appreciated it. And uh, we'll hope that you enjoy listening to other Ritz and Ruminant episodes now that you know about them. Uh, look forward to Yeah, your, for sure. Your comments. Other, can, I put a, uh, can I put a pitch in yeah. for the annual meeting one more time? Yeah. Okay, so oh, yeah, the yeah, Northern Plains yeah. Forage yeah. Association, uh, even if you're not a member, you are more than welcome to come learn about it and take in info at the annual meeting, which is on December 1st in Brandon at the Holiday Inn. Uh, starts at noon with a meal, ends at 4.30. And we're going to have Dr. Dan Undersander talk about alfalfa leaf loss effect on yield and quality. And then we have other speakers, Rebecca Kern-Lonberry. She's going to talk about evaluating grasses in rotations. She's from Ward Labs. And Brady Wolf and Justin uh, himself are going to talk about alternative forages and grain rotations. And then we're going to end the day with Dr. Peter Sexton, who is the manager at the Southeast Research Farm we've been talking about. Uh, fitting soil health into forage production, which I think is always, uh, it's, it's a tough topic. You can do it, but it needs to be talked about. So we're going to end the day with a business meeting, and it's open to everybody. If you're not a member, it's $10 just to help us cover meeting costs. You can sign up. Just go to uh, the Extension website, extension.sdstate.edu, and click on events, and you can find it there. You can sign up so we get a, a decent count ahead of time, and we'd love to have you. That's great. Hope to see everybody there. Yeah. Perfect. Well, appreciate it, Sarah. Thanks again. Thank yep. you. Thanks for everybody for listening, and then uh, stay tuned for the next episode of Roots and Ruminants coming up in the next week. Thanks. Well, we hope you enjoyed another episode of the Roots and Ruminants podcast. Uh, let us know what you thought of it. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all those social media things. And, uh, you know, if you ever have any questions, just give us a call. Um, we've got a toll-free number here at 888-498-7333. Be glad to hear from you. Thank you.